You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Chen. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. This morning we'll be in Psalm chapter 40. Psalm chapter 40. People always ask me, are you nervous to preach? I am never nervous until I step foot on the platform. So, which is a big surprise from college public speaking because I was deathly afraid of that. But with the Lord's help, we can do anything, right? Psalm chapter 40, verse 1 is where we'll begin. This morning's message titled, Prayer, Purpose, Praise. Prayer, Purpose, Praise. Let's begin reading in Psalm chapter 40, verse 1. The Bible says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And he hath put a new, and he had put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day able to come to your house, uh, something we've missed for some time now. We ask that you be with those that are live, on live stream, help them to, uh, help them to calm, help, we ask that you calm their house so that they may uh, be attentive to your word today. Dear Lord, I ask that you be with me, help take me out of the picture so that your word can come across clearly. We ask that you be with everything we say and do, be with Pastor tonight as he preaches, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Psalm chapter 40 is a psalm of David. Have you ever tried to communicate with someone with a walkie-talkie? With someone who really doesn't understand how they work. They might not hold the button down long enough, so you hear kind of skips in their speech. It's like, uh, 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 and you're just like, I have no idea what you're saying. Or you get the other person who constantly holds the button down and keeps saying, can you hear me? Can you hear me? And you're like, let go of the button. I can't hear you. It's not a very effective way of communication if you don't know how to use it. We tend to treat prayer like a one-way conversation. When we talk, and God listens. However, we're the one holding the button down. Biblical examples of prayer include not only petition and thanksgiving, but also asking questions, patiently listening, and God answering. In order to hear... God respond in prayer, we have to be listening by reading the Bible regularly and taking time in prayer. But when God does respond, we must take action. Do we really trust God's word? Or do we just give it ear service? You can tell what someone trusts by their actions. For example... Nobody trusts a car alarm. 
because no one ever reacts to it. You can have 40 of them going off in the H-E-B parking lot and people are walking in like, I don't hear anything. Some even get annoyed of it. Oh, somebody's alarm's going off. Who's lost? You start looking around for who's lost because they're using the panic button to try and find their car. If you trusted car alarms, our actions would be different. This is exactly what David is talking about in Psalm 40. Not car alarms, but taking actions. There are three things I'd like to point out to you this morning and pray that they will be a blessing in your own life. This morning I'd like to bring your attention to the prayer, the purpose, and the praise David brings out in Psalm 40. Look at me back in verse number 1. The Bible says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. Straight out of the gate, notice that David is talking about prayer. But more so importantly, notice that his prayer is directly to the Lord. There is no other mediator but the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can go humbly to him at any time, day or night. David also states that he waited patiently for the Lord. That word patiently is to wait and wait and wait some more. Without discontent or murmuring. Those words, I waited patiently in Hebrews, means in waiting, I waited. Which doubling of the words notes that he waited diligently and earnestly, patiently and preservingly until God should please to help him. Charles Spurgeon once said of this verse, Thank ye, brethren, might it not read, I waited impatiently for the Lord in the, most, in the case of most of us. How many of us would read this verse if it was written about us or if we were saying it and say, I waited impatiently for the Lord. How many times have we prayed to the Lord but then started murmuring or complaining? Almost to the point you would swear that your leg was broken. Complaining to that much that, man, God is just not answering my prayers. I pray, and I pray, and I pray. But he's not answering. Sometimes we got to praise the Lord for unanswered prayers. David states, I waited patiently for the Lord. Patience is a virtue that many struggle with, including myself. Especially in this instant gratification world, patience is harder and harder to come by. We take a picture, we want to see it right away. We take a picture, we can develop it at our house, we no longer have to send it to a dark room. Everything we do, we want instant gratification. We want to do something, but I want to see the results right away. But we must have patience in our askings with the Lord. 
The Lord will answer prayer in due time in his timing. Look at me in the latter part of verse 1. David says, And he inclined unto me and heard my cry. That word inclined has a sense of God bending down to David in his affliction, removing any perceived distance between the Lord and servant. This would be as if you bent down to a child to listen to what they're saying. Focused on exactly what the child was saying. When David knew God heard his cry, he was confident of a favorable answer. The Lord is willing and waiting to communicate with each and every one of us. But we must be willing and ready ourselves to not act on our own decisions, but to be patient. This brings me to point number two, the purpose. Look at me in verse two. The Bible says, He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry and horrible out of the miry and horrible pit, sorry, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. The purpose of David's prayer is because of the condition he was in. Because of David's condition, where he was in life, the situation he was facing, it was like a roaring pit, as if listening to rushing water and how deafening it could be. I don't know how many people have ever been to Niagara Falls or been next to a waterfall. It, you can't hear anything. David was not in an actual pit. You might say it this way. David was in deep trouble. David says that if his situation, besides feeling like a roaring pit, it was like miry clay. Miry clay here is meaning thick, thick mud, or thick clay. So this reminds me, I don't know how many years back it was, um, at the time I went hog hunting. I don't know how many of y'all ever hog hunting, but my brother-in-law had a rice field. I know I never heard of a rice farmer in Texas, but apparently they do. So <clears throat> we went hog hunting in these rice fields. If anybody knows anything about rice, you flood the fields. Me, being a city slicker, first thing about a farm, I don't know anything about, but especially mud. So we get out there, and anytime you try to get off the four-wheeler, you sink knee-deep in mud. But it's not just the mud. Try to get your boot back. <laughs> That's almost the situation he's thinking about here. It's like, I am so deep in this, but I... It's not that the fact that it's so deep and that it's mud. It's just, I can't get out. This suction, every time I try to pull, it keeps pulling me back in. David's situation was like going through miry clay. And even though the suction of the clay of the situation kept dragging him in, the Lord reached down and brought him out of the miry clay. Not only did the Lord reach down and pull him from the miry clay, the Lord also 
set him in a much better and more secure place. As the Bible says in that verse, he set my feet upon a rock. David's prayer was for deliverance. David's prayer was answered. Maybe you have been in a situation well beyond your control. Maybe you're currently in this state. Maybe you're in a situation that feels like a roaring pit. And you can't even hear yourself think. Maybe you're stuck in that miry clay. And you feel that there's no way out because it continually sucks you back in. I'm here to tell you, just as David talks about it, you also can have the future benefits David had as he waited patiently for the Lord. God delivered David from his crisis, and God can and will deliver you in your current crisis. No matter how big, no matter how bad, let me tell you, friend, my God, your God, is bigger. And he would love nothing more than to rescue you today. For those of us that have salvation, can you go back to that time, maybe when you were in that miry clay of sin, in that pit of despair? Can you go back to maybe that situation you were in? Maybe you can picture yourself sitting there, standing there. Maybe even laying there. When God spoke to you and you realized your need of a Savior, how did you feel when he brought you out? When he brought you out of that, how did you feel? I tell you, the day I got saved, I was five years old. You could, have swore, you could have thought that I won the biggest toy store. Maybe there were tears. Happiness. Excitement. Maybe it was to the point you couldn't stop singing because the joy that fulfilled you knowing that God was there and was willing to bring you out of that situation. Maybe just the feeling of completeness overfilled you to the point you just couldn't contain yourself. Some of you just need the message that goes deep down into your soul and lets you know just how good God is to the point you just let it fly. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. That day came for me. When I realized, as a five-year-old little boy, the need for a Savior, and that I couldn't do this on my own, 
A group of believers were meeting by the river when they realized that one of their group fell in the water. It was obvious that the poor fellow couldn't swim. As he thrashed about wildly, one of the believers was a strong swimmer and was called on to jump in and save him. But though able to save the drowning man, he just watched until the wild struggles subsided. Then he dove in and pulled the man to safety. However, when the rescue was over, the rescuer, the rescuer explained why he was so slow to act. He said, if I had jumped in immediately, he would have been strong enough to drown the both of us. Only by waiting until he was completely exhausted to try and save himself, could I save him? It seems to be all too easy for us to be like that drowning man. Our self-efforts can actually prevent us from being saved. You keep telling yourself, I got this, I'm good. Just one more day and I'll make it through it. All people must reach the point of being too exhausted to continue. To continue to try and save themselves by, by dealing with their own sin. Before they become willing to trust in the Savior and accept His gift of salvation. Maybe you're here today and that's your situation. Aren't you tired? Aren't you tired of dealing with your own sins on your own? The Lord is waiting and calling. But there has to be that acceptance of self-humiliation. That I can't do this on my own. Look at me in the latter part of verse 2. David says, And set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. Praise the Lord that when we do come to that point, the Lord, as David states in Psalm, the Lord will put your feet upon a rock and establish our goings. Not only will the Lord put you down on a firm foundation, He sets your path in the right direction. He's not just going to set you right back down on where you came from. He's going to put you in the right way. He is that firm foundation. He is also the beacon in the dark to guide. He is that strength when we are weak, and He promises to be there forever. But we have to come to Him. What does this mean for you and I? Because of this deliverance, there should be a change. There has to be a life change. Salvation is a monumental decision. And don't monumental decisions require a life change? For instance, when you get married. When you get married, you now have two people living together. 
And most of the time, at that age, it is a small space. So now you have two individuals who think they know each other, but now you got to live together. You now have to make life changes to bend and accept the things that the other person does, because there will be things that they do that... Yeah. <laughs> Ladies, this would be for you like your husband's leaving the toilet seat up. Men, this would be like your wife using the razor you shave your face with to shave her legs. There are life changes that occur because of marriage. And then come the children. Once you have children, again, requires a life change. Your life is no longer your own. For the next 18 years or so, you will hear the most used words in the English dictionary. Mom! Dad! Followed by every question you can possibly imagine. Mom, why does dad go to work? Mom, dad, why is the grass green? Why is the sky blue? Mom, dad, why does this do this? Why does that do that? It requires a life change to accept and do those things. So why would salvation be any different? Salvation is a life change that should put a new song in your mouth. Look at me in verse 3. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Point number three, the praise. David is saying, before the Lord has delivered me from the horrible pit, because he has delivered me from the miry clay, there is a new song in my mouth. If you have been saved, there should be a new song, not an old one, in your mouth. God will inspire songs and words of praise that is almost sounds selfish and self-serving. But when you understand how good and right it is for the creature to praise the creator, the redeemed to praise the redeemer, the delivered to praise the deliverer, then it all makes sense. We should be grateful that God gives us the ability to praise Him. Amen. You know how you can tell those who aren't saved and not right with the Lord? You could probably look around during a church service, and it's normally those with their arms crossed, this deep scowl on their face, and it looks like they swallowed a pound of lemons. It's almost like they're saying, bless me if you can. Now that I've got everybody straightened up. <laughs> All joking aside, when you are saved, there's a new song in your mouth, but it comes from the heart. Many people can try and fake it with an outward appearance. And they can go as far as singing all they want, but until it comes from the heart, you will never have a new song. Many, including pastors, talk a big game, but they can't back it up with their life. Back in verse number three again, it says, And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. 
Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. In this verse, there's a list of everything that should happen after salvation. Everything after the colon in this sentence is a listing of things that should happen because you're saved. Let's look at the first thing in the list. David says that many shall see it. I tell you, when I was doing my studies and I was doing my devotionals, this really stuck out to me. Because God is so good to me, I should praise him with my life, not just my words. Have you ever seen praise? I'm not talking about this new age church where you go to a pretty much a rock concert. And I'm not talking about Pentecostal antennas. I'm talking about living in a way that brings praises to the Lord. That is what David is saying here. Because others have seen a, a life that has been rescued from a horrible pit, from the miry clay, my life now glorifies the Lord because I'm living 100% for Him. David is saying, Lord, I'm all in. You have every part of my life. Because that's something else we try. I have salvation. Lord, you can have this three-fourths of my life. But this thing I do on the weekends? No, sorry. You can't have that. Let's look at the second thing in the list. David goes on to say, and fear. Because of the way I'm living my life, since salvation, others can not only see a difference in me, but they come to fear the Lord because of it. That word fear here is not what we think about of being afraid or scared to the point of shaking. In Scripture, fear is used to express reverence, respect. So because others see what the Lord has done in your life, they have seen or heard your testimony, they will ask. Out of holy reverence of God, and they will come to know, fear, and trust Him. How many of you ever had that? Somebody asks you, Maybe you work in a secular place, and somebody asks you, what's different about you? First, you kind of look, and you're like, did I forget to put on a piece of clothing? But then you realize that they're not talking about your physical appearance. They're talking about the way you act, what you do, what you say. Or do you just kind of melt in with the rest of the world? In order for this to happen, our life has to match our actions. How the Bible says we should live should be how we live. Not showing it 
just in these four walls. Not putting on a facade, if you would, as soon as you walk through the church doors. But showing it on the mission field. It's not hard to spot a phony, a fake, an imposter. The last thing in the list, back in verse 3. The Bible says, and shall trust in the Lord. What the psalmist is saying is that because the Lord has put a new song in my mouth, my life has changed to the point others can see it. And because they can see it, they earn to fear and reverence God the way I do. And because of their reverence, they too shall trust the Lord. But something bigger here. When people trust, trust leads to prayer. Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The verse says, whosoever. But how are they ever going to hear about the Lord if we don't stop being silent about it? Be focal about what the Lord has done for you. Kind of brings me back to when, before we left, going through a series with the teenagers on how to do soul winning. And that's one of the most effective ways to soul win to somebody at the door. It's People always say, I'm, I'm scared to death to have a conversation. But you shouldn't be scared to say what the Lord's done for you. Yeah. Stop being silent about it and let others know. Let the world know what God has done. People respect it if it's real. Mm -hmm. right. Doesn't matter what type of mess you're in today. God can bring you through it. And when he does, be vocal about it. People will begin to say, if God can do it in his life, if God can do it in her life, he can do it in mine. The only way we can reach the world is if we stop being silent with not only our voices, but our lives. How shall many in here hear the gospel over and over and over. But there are those out there who will die and go to hell not ever hearing the gospel once. We must be that life they see. We must be that testimony they hear. And when they do, just as David says, they will fear and trust in the Lord. Why you and I are here today is much bigger than you and I. There's a world out there. Many need to see, many need to fear, and many need to trust the God you say you trust. We must be the praise that others can not just hear, but they can see. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org.
May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.